What direction would ag policy go in a Biden administration? Are there changes ahead if Trump wins re-election? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. This week, two Farm Progress editors shared the story of their collaboration to learn more about the ag positions of the major party candidates for president. Holly Spangler, editor of Prairie Farmer, and Jackie Fatka, policy editor for Farm Futures and Feedstuffs, share a behind-the-scenes look at what it takes to pull together a story like this. Their story, which was posted online Friday morning, September 11, is Trump and Biden, what solutions do they bring to ag? The feature offers insight on key farm policy issues of importance to farmers. Holly and Jackie discuss some of the details of the process and share added perspective on what they learned. Note, this is the first time we've had three people on the microphone at the same time, and it worked out well. Let's dig into the process of corralling candidates to get responses on key issues, and for clarity, the first person to answer my opening question is Jackie. Well, as I said in the lead-in, this is a first for the Around the Farm Progress podcast. I've got two people on at the same time, so we'll see if we can juggle this. Holly Spangler and Jackie Fatka, I'm excited to talk to you today about the story that we just posted this morning. The link will also be in the write-up for this podcast. We've done something every four years for a long time, and that is to try and reach out to the, the true candidates for the office. We don't do it too early because I really don't want 25 responses. But the uh, once the conventions have occurred and the nominees are uh, targeted, we reach out to the candidates for both of the major parties to get their thoughts and ideas of what they're going to do for agriculture if they get the office. This morning, that ran on all our websites. But I'd like to talk a little bit about the sausage making of this story with both of you since you pulled it together. And I guess um, who wants to chime in on the process for reaching out and also what you got back? Well, I can jump in. I, I actually really like your sausage metaphor because when it comes to politics, you know, there is a lot of pork that comes out of D.C. Um, and being a, a, a hog farmer's daughter herself, this also um, is quite, quite enjoyable. But as as we all know, it is election year, and um, a couple of weeks ago, I knew that we usually do this and sent emails around to Willie and, and Holly and said, have we started this this great adventure of trying to get the campaigns to email us back? And so we started working on developing our questions. I think we had maybe 15 or so from the start, um, and we passed it around uh, between a few editors that we knew had some policy, you know, they, they enjoy policy. So we emailed around and kind of tweaked our questions and we narrowed it down to 10 questions. And and that's the unique thing too that we do is we don't just ask for a generic, you know, what is your policy on this? Um, one of our questions was kind of specific related to our surveys that we always do for Farm Futures. And, and, and the question was about actually uh, how do you anticipate changing how the way Washington operates, because that is actually a very common top priority amongst our readers. And so a little different question and not something that that our campaigns could just copy and paste from their role plan. As we were kind of, Holly and I had a couple different conversations. I remember we were actually talking about that question in particular. And I said, you know, sometimes it's nice to know the different thing that doesn't have the, the straight canned answer from the campaign. So we finalized it, I think, on a Friday afternoon, late in the day. And then both of us were kind of trying to see, well, who do you have for a, a resource to actually get this to somebody who can answer it and get it back to us? And I think, and Holly can chime in here, but 
we we both had a few contacts and folks who we we tried to work with and we waited and then we waited some more and then we tried some new contacts and waited a little bit longer i was finally able to get get a hold of someone at the biden minister uh campaign and and actually very very late in the game on the republican side actually trump's national director of communications for the Trump campaign used to actually be the director of communications at USDA. And so through my history of covering policy for farm progress companies, I'd actually met Tim Murtaugh is his name. I met him early on before he was officially even at USDA. And it was right after the 2016 election. And it it was assumed that he would become one of the top communication staff at USDA. And and so I was able to have a meet and greet with him very early on. And so at the end of the road, when we were not getting any responses, thank goodness for Tim, who one, remembered that he had worked with me in the past, and two said, we're doing all we can, we'll get this back to you the next day. And they did. Holly, how about you? What what about this question process? Yeah, you know, this is, I was just trying to remember, I think this is maybe the third or fourth one of these that I've helped ride herd on. And it's, you know, just like Jackie said, it's always a process of figuring out, okay, what do we want to ask and how do we want to ask it, especially, you know, we really tweaked some of these that to make sure we weren't leading, you know, in a certain way or trying to get a certain answer, like, no, just here, here's a topic and, and we want to know what you think about that. And it was fascinating to see, you know, some of their answers are sometimes they're very specific and then sometimes real generic. So you can kind of read between the lines that that they, you know, maybe didn't have a real policy there. I should add back. Um, it was so funny on a Friday afternoon, the Biden, the Biden contact I had called me. I, it was probably seven o'clock because uh, it was it was definitely after hours and said and we had given a Friday deadline. And he said, I'm really I'm really thinking we're going to have a problem getting this. And I was like, I, we had planned in that there would be delays. Um, and, and some of our questions were very specific, like what the campaigns thought about continuing support for CFAP and the trade facilitation payments. And he had said, you know, some of this stuff we could copy and paste from our royal plan, but some of this stuff I basically have to go pretty high above me to make sure that this is indeed something that we want to have going on record. And actually, the Biden campaign was late in the drop dead deadline that I gave them, which we also kind of made sure that we had a little extra wiggle room too because they were waiting for that final approval. So, you know, you do realize that it's not just one person that's looking at this. There's several people that have to sign off on it because in some ways it does hold them accountable to whatever they say. And that's our goal, you know, that that whatever we put in print can really hold these campaigns to the fire to really hold them up on what they've said that they're going to do on these certain issues. Yeah, for sure. And and like for sure, we have the rolling deadlines, right? So we set it for Friday, knowing we really needed it by Monday, knowing Wednesday was the drop dead deadline. <laughs> and we still and we still waited till Thursday morning. We did. But I like Jackie sent a final email. What was that, Jackie? Like Thursday morning at six thirty that basically said <laughs> You've got you till know. nine o'clock. And then at nine oh two he called me and I got it at nine twenty six. <laughs> <laughs> and and all the people rejoiced. Yes, yes I'm sure. Amen. When you ask these questions, you, you kind of know what the answers might be from either side. Let's talk about the surprises. Did something come up that, or uh, I think a comment was made somewhere along the way that there was actually news here. What what was the news that came out of the answers you found in this? 
Yeah, I think there was the definite news that came out of it was from our question about the renewable fuel standard. You know, the Trump um, administration, the Trump campaign came back and said, and, and I'll just read you the exact quote, mm-hmm. when, Im- when implementing the renewable fuel standard, the president decided in favor of farmers and said that from now on, 15 billion gallons of ethanol must mean 15 billion gallons and shouldn't be undermined by small refinery waivers, end quote. So that's a big deal. That's that's in Brent now. So. Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's the kind of promise a lot of farm country was looking for there. Well, there's been a lot of turmoil in that, and Jackie's covered some of it, and we all have looked at that issue. And it is interesting that they've gone on the record with that. Obviously, I think the Biden administration was all for a renewable fuel standard, correct? I mean, they supported it um, in when Biden was in the last administration. So absolutely. Did they actually split like you thought they would? In other words, on uh, regulatory issues did did they really take the the blue and the red path and the answers that you got um Jackie what did you think you know yeah i i think so i mean it's hard to uh, and and we understand that trump and biden were not the ones who were answering these questions so maybe if we had them in an actual debate forum we might have gotten a little bit of, of a different take on some of these issues and i mean you did see the 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 kind of pointing fingers at one another of you know if this was to happen the Biden administration would do this and we didn't do this in our some of our our version um, because we kind of try to make sure that as we are taking we we will have the full response from each campaign available online but for print we could not publish the 3000 some words from almost each of them on on what they were looking at and i mean there were sometimes that i'd look at a question and i was like did they answer this question right because it didn't really answer the question and wait wait a second that's not what i was asked about because we asked some questions about the covid response but actually we got some answers that for the COVID thing in a different question that didn't really make as much sense. It was about national security, actually, and mm-hmm. um, which that that does kind of coincide. But you know, I think and like the cli- we asked a question about climate change. Uh, the question was, how do you plan to partner with farmers in addressing the climate change? And the full answer from Trump really went after kind of the OCM type policy that could have come out from um, the New Green Deal and what could come out from that and. Uh, but then we also saw kind of throughout uh, both, they say they're going to listen. I think, you know, when it comes to regulations, that's something that has really been a cornerstone of the Trump administration and really deregulation as a cornerstone of what they're doing. And Biden's response was, you know, far too often regulatory policy has been a partisan political tool. And so, you know, maybe that tone is a different one that Biden would take than the the approach that we saw that could have come in 2016, if Hillary Clinton was elected, I know that was a blog that I wrote in 2016, mm-hmm. because the regulatory approach of Republicans and Democrats is usually different, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. And so maybe some of the progress that's been made on the regulatory front, maybe there is some improvement there for the other side. So, I mean, I think, you know, it's politics. Politics always <laughs> creates creates answers that you make you scratch your head on, especially when it comes to policy, I always joke that, and I think I, I even said this to Holly as we were frustrated with not getting responses back. I, my title is policy editor uh, for, for all of our publications. I like policy, I don't like politics. And sometimes politics gets in the way of good policy. And so all these questions are specifically focused on policies. How do these policies, how will they impact farmers? And 
Fortunately, good policy usually comes from bipartisanship, and that's always should be the goal of, of having good policy that creates benefits for everyone, because we're not a nation of Republicans or a nation of Democrats. We are a nation of Americans. And and so coming up with solutions is, is sometimes a little more difficult to find in the political arena. I love that, Jackie. That makes so much sense. We, <laughs> you know, and, and like some of the questions that, you know, we, we sent out, you know, that Jackie referenced that we maybe didn't have an actual answer to, you know, one of those was looking at federal health care policy. You know, we we asked them, you know, what changes could improve federal health care policy for rural Americans? And I I mean, we kind of got an answer from the Biden campaign, you know, in terms of he said they were not going to eliminate the Affordable Care Act. They're going to build on it. But they kind of started out talking about rural hospitals um, and keeping rural hospitals open and and then kind of use that as a way to slide into the Affordable Care Act. Um, and then also talked about doubling funding for community health centers. Um, you know, the, the Trump side talked about um, bridging the Internet divide, you know, which was one of those answers I started reading and thought, well, is this about health care policy? <laughs> did, did that's they, what they answered. That's what they, that's answered. What they said. <laughs> and, and then they went on to talk about, you know, increasing funding for mental health needs and uh, opioid, you know, epidemics. So, you know, we maybe didn't get what we were hoping for there, which was a real look at like, you know, what is health insurance costing farmers, um, costing self-employed people, but also maybe not necessarily surprised at the answers we got either. When you get into the policy and the politics of health, national health care, it's becoming a new third rail that uh, touching it is deadly. And I think that uh, that may be where both sides are, which could be good news in the partisan debate that will happen after the election is that we do have a health care issue in this country. And perhaps because no one wants to just dive in with an idea, no one will go in with one idea. Maybe we'll be able to work something out. That would be interesting to see. That's for sure. We are asking a lot of questions. A lot of groups, I think, probably just send in the 10 questions that you can almost pull off the Internet and they can answer on rural policy. We were asking about farmers. You know, I think uh, we talk about the red and the blue and the middle and the flyover states. We got to remember farmers represent less than 1% of the population in this country. And so we are we have to make our voice known. Uh, but do you get the sense from this that they are paying attention to farmers when you got the answers back? I think that's interesting. I think, you know, we both noted there's not a lot of incentive for either of these campaigns to answer these questions to us, right? Because as you say, you know, we are here at one percent of the population that's not a voting block <laughs> by any means and i think it's pretty widely held that a lot of farm country you know is planning to vote for trump so again whether you know they're ahead or behind there's not a lot of incentive but um i thought it was interesting you know that they did at least respond and i i really liked you know our second question was what's the greatest threat to american agriculture today mm-hmm. biden jumped on that right away in terms of the impact of extreme weather well gosh we don't have to look far to see that you know across iowa right now through Louisiana, just a mess, you know, and of course, then he used that to talk about crop insurance and trying to make sure that safety net is there. Trump's side, you know, went more to the, you know, the food chain and um, COVID outbreaks and what they could do, you know, in terms of maintaining the food supply and that kind of thing. Um, So it goes to what we're doing, but maybe not to the specifics of what, you know, a farmer's facing day to day. Interestingly, they're both a whole answer together. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny? I mean, yes. if, if everybody would listen to each other, that's a really good whole answer. 
Like, yeah. <laughs> kind of to me, because we do need to look at and, and climate changes. We, we, that's a different debate. But the other side of it is, thank gosh, no one wants to get rid of crop insurance, um, which has evolved into one of the better disaster programs that we've ever had. Right. Right, Jackie. I mean, over yeah. time, that has evolved into something that's kind of kept us from making radical disaster payments. It's a known cost until the last two years, thanks to trade wars. But I think that's a very interesting answer, Holly, on on number two, in terms of if you put them together, that's actually kind of a nice policy. <laughs> kind of funny. Um, Willie, you'd asked you'd asked about the 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 focus on rural America, and I'm actually mm-hmm. a, for Farm Futures cover story for October will will come out here soon on what will the middle matter, and um, and actually. The, the, the resource that I used through the Biden campaign was somebody that I uh, was starting to get emails from that was, I think his national, the title was National Engagement Director for Rural, Rural America for Biden Camp. And let me tell you, the Biden Camp is really trying to extend their outreach to rural America. There were a lot of Democratic leaning groups that have, that were created following the 26th election because they realized uh, the spread between Clinton, Hillary Clinton and Trump was over 30, it was 33 percent the last election. So they, a lot of Democrats realized we can no longer ignore this segment of voters and they needed to help better educate Democrat Party itself, the top rural issues, as well as those in rural America that the Democrats may have more understanding of what they're going through and different solutions that might work better for them than they realized before. So you saw, um, you know, one group is called One Country Project, which is uh, founded by Senator, former Senator Heidi Heitkamp, who mm-hmm. was a more moderate Democrat from North Dakota who lost in the last, uh, the 2018 election. Joe Donnelly uh, also co-founded that with her, and he's from Indiana, both who served on the Senate Ag Committee and, you know, worked hard for for farmers and and realized that there's, there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding maybe amongst the Democratic Party. Um, you also see uh, former Secretary Tom Vilsack, who's been very vocal in the last couple of years about the need to re-educate about some of those platforms that are going on. And, uh, you know, there's a group that, that started in Iowa uh, by Lieutenant Governor Patty Judge, former mm-hmm. Lieutenant Governor. And the focus was really helping educate all of those Democrat nominees when they came in before the primaries. So helping them understand they don't need a photo op with a, a milking a cow. They needed to go to an <laughs> ethanol plant. They needed to understand value-added <laughs> agriculture. They need to understand the importance of good paying jobs in rural America, because that's what that's what the disconnect is. And so I think people are and I will also say so that's from the Democrat side. They realize that they cannot overlook the rural vote anymore. Now, right. I've also heard from people on the Republican side who were very involved in the 2016 election and really building up that grassroots efforts and helping spread the message of what Trump could do and how he could work on behalf of farmers. He had a huge coalition the first time around on people who really were, I mean, I had somebody call me and ask if I knew of anybody in Ohio who, because they were trying to get at least one person from every state 
who the, the president could call on if he needed an issue and, and kind of be that voice for the farmer in that ish, in that state. Their efforts this time around are slow. They are behind is what I've heard. And they mm-hmm. are not as they're just not steamrolling like they were the last time. I think there was a lot of momentum from the 2016 election in farm country. And, and I think there's more headwinds that are facing Trump, despite our survey that found that 75% mm-hmm. of farmers still love Trump. I, I think they they recognize that they woke they woke up the Democrat Party in 2016 and and made them realize that the rural vote is important. But whether they're capitalizing on that same momentum in 2020, I would say that they may be a step or two behind. Do you do you think and, and Holly can weigh on this? Do you think that they're just taking it for granted? Because 75% of the survey recently responded in Farm Futures that they'd vote for Trump. So why do I have to do anything for him? I've already got that vote. Um, You know, I will say that some of the stuff that I have written in recent weeks, including a a story about uh, Vice President uh, Pence, he visited Iowa just days after that storm came through. So the storm was on Monday. He came in on Thursday. And I talked with farmers that afternoon who who basically said that speech fell flat. We needed something more than a campaign speech right now. And that's not what we got from the administration when they came here. And there were farmers and those were farmer quotes. And I know that that story got passed around mm-hmm. to some of the D.C. folks because I've heard that from some of my contacts out in the area. I know that a farmer that I interviewed for this cover story is a member of the Trump um, coalition, and it is smaller. There are fewer members on there. And from what I understand, apparently Trump did not want as many people on the coalition because he wanted to be able to have people that he could really reach out to. And if it's too big of a list, then it, it's it's too many is what I'd heard, too. Apparently, my my thing has already in a draft when I sent it to my source has been passed on to Greg Dow to look over to. Um, oh. <laughs> so, I mean, like our stuff is getting around. People are reading it and people are recognizing. And and as you'll see in my my farm future story, too, um, it's not a raw raw for Trump. I mean, there is definitely some things that he's got to overcome. And there's a lot of states that are in, in play still. And and there's some issues that could really make or break. Um, either campaign as they go forward when it comes to this this rural voting block. Are you hearing the same thing, Holly, that it might be a little different out there? It's very, it's a very, um, if some of that's, if those conversations are happening, I think they're very quiet. And and mm-hmm. that's what Jackie's saying, too. I mean, mm-hmm. there are not a lot of Biden yard signs out, in, you know, from what I've seen here in, in farm country. But I think there could be more quiet support. Just what Jackie's saying, you know, and that, yeah. that idea of like, there's there's some real questions about the renewable fuels standard and you know all these waivers that have been granted and ethanol's in real trouble and and then this is four years down the road and and this is where we're at so you know people asking what's what are you, what are you actually going to do about that well and there are other chinks in the armor too I mean the dairy industry's hurting and uh, mm-hmm. there are, there are policy changes that need to be made there and they're big and they're complicated. And that isn't always handled well in a political situation. So I'm sure that creates some consternation. But that doesn't matter who's president. That's going to be a challenge for everybody. It, it's an interesting time. Um, I think that uh, both candidates uh, have interesting approaches. I believe that for farmers, a lot of what ha- has been seen out of the Trump administration is what they asked for. 
deregulation or, or a more rational look at regulation, more conservative courts, uh, which may be the biggest underlying change in, in uh, the country, um, and several uh, several of those types of issues that farmers have held dear and, and important to them forever. And I think that that's why the support's still out there. But you're right. Eventually, in any election, it's what have you done for me lately? So right. <laughs> right. I think well, that's a big issue. Yeah, and I think that the state, attack, the state tax exemption is a big part of that, you know, as well. Um, Jackie, you remember when we've been at, you know, the American Farm Bureau meetings when he's when Trump has spoken, you know, when he talks about eliminating the estate tax, you know, there's a huge round of applause to that, you know, stand, yeah. standing ovations for minutes on end. In fact, what he's done is, you know, doubled the estate tax exemption. Um, and now he's talking about wanting to make it permanent, which I was just interviewing an estate tax attorney this mm-hmm. morning who was talking about, you know, there is nothing permanent. We say in air quotes, you know, in politics, like it's permanent till the next person changes it. So, but at least making those so, so they would not phase out at some point. Yeah, because there is a phase out of the state tax exemption now. And I think it's it's probably only got three years left in it. I can't remember the number, but it's got a it's got a sunset on it. Mm-hmm. And it isn't it isn't it can't if it's passed into law as permanent, it would be harder to reverse. And I think that's why people get frustrated. It apparently there's a sundown clause on the estate tax is always kind of the the bargaining chip for anybody trying to get everything else passed in a tax bill. Well, thank you, Holly Spangler from Prairie Farmer and Jackie Packa, policy editor for Farm Futures and Feedstuffs and the entire state and regional farm group uh, for being a part of this today. And thank you for your hard work on taking many questions, turning them into 10 and doggedly tracking down the right contacts on both sides of the aisle to get a story that I think a lot of people will be talking about in the next few days and weeks to come leading up to the big election as someone once called it a very special day ahead on November 3rd. I want to thank everybody for being a part of this and uh, have a great day and we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks to Holly Spangler and Jackie Facka for that background story and more insights on these important issues. Around Farm Progress is our newest podcast looking at agriculture with the help of our national editorial team. But we have other podcasts you'll want to check out. The best way to find them is to visit farmprogress.com forward slash farm hyphen progress hyphen podcasts give them a listen you've been listening to around farm progress our weekly look at agriculture across the united states with editors from the farm progress team farm progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines as well as farm futures beef national hog farmer and feedstuffs and the new farm progress virtual experience join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country i'm willie vote editorial director at farm progress Thanks for listening.